Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name's Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. We want to thank you all for coming in today. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, and we, we couldn't go any further without thanking Mortgage Investors Group. Celebrating 25 years of American dreams come true. Started this company in 1989 and have really just carried that vision on for 25 long years. Helping the American dream stay alive in the hearts and minds of all of our citizens. And we are so thankful for them and their contribution to that. So thank you. We appreciate it. Um, so grab your cup of coffee. I tell you what, we have a really interesting, I think, and fantastic story. Um, and right now, you know, you, you're, we're in that mode of Christmas, Christmas, you know, shopping, thanking our referral partners, thanking people who, um, you know, work with us and interact with us, our sponsors, Admiral Titles, uh, Prudent Energy Systems, all gamut of our, our different sponsors we want to thank, um, Sue Benson, the other people. And, you know, it's it's a gratitude list that we make. And, and one of the big things that I think that we have to be grateful for are our men and women who serve so strongly and proudly in the wars that have happened in the past whether that be World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korean War, you know, the Gulf Wars or Afghanistan or even the wars prior to World War One. I'm certain understand there's other wars, but right. you know, we're so grateful for those people. And so during Christmas, you know, sometimes, you know, we had Veterans Day, we tend to to spend that time during Veterans Day thinking about that. And and we have with us today, we have Myers Brown, who's the archivist at that's the state of Tennessee. A library. Um, so Myers, thank you first of all for coming in with us. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and um, we want to just kind of take a step back. And the, the reason that Mark decided that this was an important show is because we're celebrating a, a pretty significant moment in uh, world history. And it doesn't have anything specifically to do about the United States because at that time we weren't engaged in, in this particular um arena, if you will. But, um, in 1914, this is what we want to start talking about Myers. And then you will talk about some other things, but, um, one of the significant moments was that in the heat of the battle, of course, everybody did my little bit of understanding of world war one. There was a lot of people in Europe when they engaged in this battle that were positioning themselves and, and this was all happening. And a lot of people felt like the battle would be over by Christmas. That was kind of the general thinking. And that did not happen. So on Christmas that year of 1914, the 100-year anniversary, something pretty incredible happened. And it was dubbed and called and still remembered to this day as the uh, Christmas truce, uh, the World War I Christmas truce. Talk to us. I know you have a basic understanding of it. There's not a lot to it. It's amazing, actually. But tell me uh, what you know of it, Myers, and share with our listeners uh, that amazing story. Well, it, in December of, of 1914, 
the First World War had, had really only been going less than a year. And you're in this time period of transition from a very Victorian style of life that uh, really was prominent throughout Europe and in the United States even into more of a modern era. And that it's transposed even into warfare. But in that first Christmas of World War I, you still see that little glimmer of chivalry and of um, res mutual respect between enemies. And what occurs, and it really started with an attempt uh, by the Pope to get all the nations to agree to a Christmas time truce, which failed. Uh, on a leadership level, the nations would not abide by this sort of truce. But that didn't mean necessarily that the individual soldiers in the trenches didn't take it upon themselves uh, to, to install a truce. And indeed, that's what happened right around Christmas time in 1914, particularly between the British and German troops facing off uh, against each other in those entrenched positions and just kind of as an enlisted man to enlisted man effort there is this impromptu truce that breaks out at various points along the lines. And it starts off kind of a, innocently enough with a German soldiers uh, singing Christmas carols, uh, the British soldiers on the opposite side chiming in, and eventually some brave soul raises his head above the trench line and starts to signal to the other side. And the next thing you know, you've got guys from both sides gathering in no man's land, exchanging gifts. Wow. Um, you know, these weren't, weren't fancy gifts. Sometimes they were things like cigarettes or uh, puddings that they had made in their trench lines. Um, so it, it's, it's a very personal sort of truce that goes on. And keep in mind that the officers, for the most part, discourage this sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that if you humanize your enemy, it makes it much more difficult that when the truce ends, that then you have to then turn around and kill that man. So the officers are very uneasy about this. Um, another interesting part of it is that these are all young men. We have to keep that in mind. These are men between the, the eight, ages 18 and probably not a one of them was over 28, 29 years old. And as young men are prone to do, uh, they start to break out in games. And one of the things that breaks out in one part of the line is an impromptu soccer match uh, between the Germans and the British troops. And, you know, the truce, unfortunately, uh, doesn't last. It, it, it's really over by uh, the end of the day on Christmas Day or maybe the 26th. And... The next thing you know, the world's entangled in, in war fair yet again. And Myers, uh, typically uh, during World War One and the fighting that occurred between the trenches in that no man's land, did it always come to a halt toward the evening? Because I know on Christmas Eve, the firing and all the bombings were occurring up to like four or five o'clock when it started getting dark, then everything stopped. And that's when they started singing as it got into Christmas Eve. Was it typical in that war period that uh, fighting would cease at night? Uh, not, I wouldn't say typical. 
it was probably atypical that the firing stopped. In fact, as the war goes on and you have these kind of stalemated lines, both sides start to realize as one way to break the enemy's will is to deny him the ability to sleep. And so one of the things that would keep going on throughout the war is these nighttime bombardments, barrages, uh, to deny the enemy sleep. And the other thing that would, would kind of develop as the war goes on that would occur a lot of times at night are raids on the enemy trench lines where you send a small party over uh, to create as much havoc as possible in the enemy lines and then get back out to the safety of your own line. So this silence that kind of breaks out on Christmas Eve is, is a little bit atypical. Mm. When I looked at the story and I, I, I Googled Christmas truce and just tried to get a little more information about it. And I noticed that being that it's the hundred year anniversary, you know, I, I had, I'll be honest, I had not heard about this. And when Mark brought it to my attention, I was floored because you think about war and war is not pretty. It is just, it is a very, very, very bad thing. Thing that occurs and, and some good obviously came out of these two wars certainly but when I learned of this Christmas truce I, I was floored with the humanity that was shown um, and like you mentioned the officers discouraged it and I believe I read somewhere where some of them even maybe faced some disciplinary action after this all happened but my, my in, the interesting thing was I, I noticed that there was uh, there was a statue that was kind of memorialized this event that was just recently, um, I think in the last couple of days, maybe even and it. And it shows the two, I guess it's a German soldier, maybe in a French soldier, possibly, um, shaking, or, you know, shaking hands, um, in the middle of, of the battlefield. And I think that I don't remember any time in history and you know this better than I, that something like this occurred in wartime. Do you, do you know of anything? Well, occasionally uh, there were impromptu truces in the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, not necessarily at Christmas time, but there would be impromptu truces between the picket lines. Um, and in that instance, it's a little bit uh, unique in that with the case of the American Civil War, there is no language barrier. Mm, and these right, are true. Americans fighting other Americans. And a lot of times they would look across the lines and think, well, not much is accomplished if I kill the opposite picket uh, standing out there by himself. And so there might be an impromptu truce that develops, and these men would go out and exchange newspapers, or uh, southern soldiers who were issued tobacco would exchange tobacco for northern coffee beans, which the South was desperate to get. So you would have impromptu truces like that. I think what's unusual about the World War I scenario with these truces breaking out. One is that it is at Christmas time. It tells you very much the mindset of these men on both sides. They are obviously thinking about Christmas. They're thinking about probably being at home, thinking about peaceful places, um, thinking about places of their youth. Um, And there is this language barrier between the two sides, which they're able to overcome, which kind of emphasizes this Christmas idea is bigger than than the language barrier right yeah because they did in fact uh say merry christmas in their native tongue i believe i read and i mean that's amazing to me i i think 
in, in our next segment, and we would love to hold you, we have Myers Brown. He's an archivist at the State Library of Tennessee. We have him here on the line with us talking about the 100-year anniversary of the Christmas truce that occurred in World War One on December 25th, 1914. So we're coming up on that anniversary. It's really a celebration of of humanity, and, and um, we'd like to spend another segment with you, and I'd like to talk about um, some more items revolving around World War One and how Tennessee was involved, and I still want to talk a couple of more um, angles with this Christmas truce because uh, I, I noticed that um, <clears throat> we have a couple of statues that were commemorating the event. They're going to have a, a, a little soccer game next week against a, a German army and also the French army. I think that's kind of interesting, and the and the British army. Don't we call that the World Cup? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's interesting to talk about. So, uh, you know, these are the things that I think, because this show, we we – we talk about everything under the sun and we want to make sure that during this holiday season, people can, you know, glean a little something off of this story that could help your spirit. Maybe you're thinking about something that's going on in the world. I mean, think about it right now. And Myers, you, you know, you see it, Mark, you see it, our producer, Eric, we see it. You know, we have all of these horrible news stories that are coming out. We have this gentleman killing all of these kids earlier in the week. We have, you know, so much, hate and, and, and anger and divisiveness and, and going on, these type of stories really help to, to lift people up. And, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to do so. So you can hang around another segment with us, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we want to tell him, tell Myers how much we appreciate him. And we want to thank everybody um, definitely here at WOKI, um, definitely for their their partnership in this last year and how much they've helped us and grow our business and news talk 98.7 all of the folks over there um not limited to martha and the whole gang and eric our producer has been a tremendous help for us so guys why don't you stick around with us we have a lot more to come in our last segment mark and i are going to do our best attempt at wrapping up the year with a wrap with a we do have a wrap but no we don't i know that you guys would enjoy that but stick with us we'll be right back after these messages making spirits bright what fun it is to ride and sing a slaying song tonight jingle bells jingle bells jingle all the way oh what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into The Housing Hour. My name's Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And um, if you're out there driving right now on Kingston Pike, keep your eyes on the road, but uh, get your Christmas shopping done as early as possible. I know it's a week, I guess, or so out, and I know that you guys are out there shopping um, out there right now. So be safe, um, and, and I, we certainly appreciate you tuning in to the Housing Hour. Um, we are so grateful for um, the past years, uh, all of the guests that we've had. I think this has actually been our best year. Of the four years that we've been going, I think this has been the best year by far. Going into our fourth year uh, is what I meant to say. Um, I think that this by far has been our strongest and our most content-rich year. And you can find all of that content on thehousinghour.com. 
So if you're out there listening, don't go to your phone right now, um, but do go um, thehousinghour.com when you get back because you'll be able to find an archive list, um, which I know our guest Myers appreciates the archive because he's an archivist. Um, but we have an archive list of all of our past shows. Um, you can also listen to our show. You can download our app. Um, you can share it with friends and family. You can share it onto the social media platforms as well. Um, Mark will be doing the Pinterest for us a little bit later as well. So um, just, you know, it, we love interaction. We love to give back. We love to hear from our our um, avid listeners as we have a lot of them and to hear about what you might want to hear about coming up in 2015. So, and we have some exciting ideas for, for the next few months that we're going to be rolling out. So we're excited about that as well. Um, and real quick, before we get back to Myers, and he's been so gracious with this time, I did want to tell you guys real quick about um, Admiral Title. Admiral Title is a closing company that sponsors our show. They're, they do a good job by taking the baton from us. Once we get to that point in the transaction, they're going to close the loan. They help by uh, telling the borrower, the client, what the documents that they're signing are all about. They're kind of an extension of Mortgage Investors Group and they help to get us to the finish line. And they do a tremendous job with that. They're very good people. They've been doing this for a long time. Phyllis Burnett, who is the co-owner with her husband, Terry Adams, who we've had on the show before, of course. Um, they do just a really, really good job for all involved. So if you're a realtor out there, or maybe you're a lender, and you want to work with a company that just has a tremendous relationship with the real estate community, and you want to build that partnership, I would highly recommend using Admiral title give them an opportunity give them a call tell them the guys at the housing hour sent you and that phone number is 865-531-6060 okay so we're back in here with myers brown archivist at the state of tennessee state library and um we were talking off air about a variety of things and um very interesting job that myers has he he has a very important job because he's he is in charge of really uh keeping the source documents um, in safekeeping so that history uh, can can be kept in a, a way that we'll be able for generations to know kind of what went on with our state uh, in different uh, areas. So I, I think it's a fascinating and very, very important job. And I'm sure, Myers, that technology, I can't even imagine, this is kind of a side note, um, the technologies that are out there, whether that be a cloud service and backing up this stuff. And I mean, how do you tackle that? This is just a curiosity point for me. Do you, you have, I'm sure you have companies constantly calling you, telling you the new technology they have to keep your, your, your archives secure and all this. Well, luckily somebody else here handles that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it is a challenge because with so much uh, of the world going to a, electronic, digital world, there's yeah. less and less paper um, that, that, that we deal with. So it does create kind of new challenges in keeping up with the technology and how you preserve the technology prior to that is, is a challenge that archivists face all around the world. Right. And because there's always a, a new thing and a new way that you have to figure out to deal with it so that people can access it 200 years from now. I, I'm a big Disney World fan, and one of the rides at Disney World, uh, you may have ridden it or whatever, is the uh, Spaceship Earth. And the beginning of Spaceship Earth, you go in, and you can actually smell fire burning. And one of one of the beginning parts of it, it talks about 
the history of the world being lost in a fire and I don't remember where, but then, and then the next part of it, they say, but a lot of it was saved and it was another Middle Eastern country or whatever. And so that's a concern when you're looking at these source documents. I mean, obviously they have to be in a fireproof setting. There's so much that goes into your job that maybe me on the outside looking in don't realize all that goes into preserving what you have to preserve. Yeah, so we keep kind of the, the, the most crucial state documents in a fireproof um, vault. Yeah. Um, we have conservators on staff that deal with documents, uh, trying to keep try to keep them um, in, in as good a shape as possible after, mm-hmm. in many cases, you know, at this point, 200 years old in some cases. So it is a never-ending challenge. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Well, we're going to um, wrap up the Christmas truce part and then quickly get into some other items as it relates to Tennessee's um, part of World War One. I. I wanted you to talk about that. And um, I mentioned about the statue that I had read that was being commemorated. And um, Prince William, he unveiled the first World War statue on Friday, making the moment on Christmas Day 1914 that soldiers from both sides put down their weapons to play football. Of course, it's a really the most fitting culmination of football and this is him speaking, and it will serve as a permanent reminder of one of the key moments of the First World War. William began his speech, and then he went on to talk about um, some of the things that we've just now touched on and paying tribute you know, to those soldiers that, that really deserve the credit for what I think is one of the most amazing moments in human history. But when you look back on, you mentioned um, sometimes in, in the Civil War there were those uh, moments where you know arms were laid down during the Christmas uh, you know time, and I mean obviously the the language barrier was the same. But when you look back over history, you know having that happen kind of in a time period where we can look back and and have these articles and and have this information available. What do you say to people that are outside of the history world? Maybe it's a a youth, or maybe it's somebody like myself. You know, learning about the past can help us a lot of times with our future. If more people understood about the Christmas truce, or for that matter, any of the other stories that that I'm sure you have great knowledge of, you know, as an archivist and as a historian, um, what would you say to kids to encourage them uh, to learn about stories such as this? Yeah, I think, you know, the the Christmas truce, uh, regardless of the, the stories in history, there's always a valuable lesson to be learned um, in there, it, it, whether it's something like the Christmas truce where uh, individual soldiers kind of take it upon themselves to, to stop you know, this devastating war, um, even temporarily, um, which kind of, in, in some extent, empowers the individual. You know, mm-hmm. These guys just kind of, again, took it upon themselves individually to do this. Um, but... You know, history just teaches us all sorts of lessons, things to do, things not to do, um, ways to approach situations, whether they be in our personal lives or politically or economically or as a nation or as a state. Um, it, it, there's just the, the lessons from history are invaluable, and, and we tend to often just neglect those stories as being, oh, you know, that's, that's the way it used to be done. Um, and in many cases, as you look throughout history, yes, technology changes, uh, the, uh, 
players change, but really the circumstances of history don't change a whole lot. Yeah. And that's so true. And the human spirit, you know, I, I was reading the article on history.com and it spoke about uh, how that, and you mentioned it earlier about the men exchanging presents of cigarettes and plum pudding and saying carols and songs and um, then the soccer game as well. But then there were other soldiers that used this short, the short lived ceasefire for kind of a more somber task. And that was the retrieval of bodies of fellow, you know, combatants who had fallen within that no man's land. So there's that human element to it as well that, you know, we may have our differences and we might have our challenges as a humanity in this world that we live in. But this should be a glimmer of hope for all people to see that at the end of the day, we all have that common bond and that that is that we're human. Yeah. And in a war like World War One, that becomes very... The world had never seen anything like it as far as numbers of deaths. Right. The ways that people would die in that war, um, it, it almost takes the... Um, from a, from a historian's perspective, looking back on it, it it's almost unfathomable. Um, and then you get these individual stories of soldiers in the trenches and how they survived and how they took care of each other and looked out for the man next to them. And what that really boils down to is the more realistic human stories uh, and interaction between individuals. Um, it, it really is, is a, astounding to think about you know, a hundred years removed from the fact. Very well said. Well, let's move on to, in our remaining moments that we have here with Myers Brown, archivist at the State Library in Tennessee. Um, and we we move forward to 1919 when we had the treaty that was signed ending the war. And, you know, Knoxville was reported to have 30,000 people show up for the arrival of some of the troops. But talk about in the remaining couple of minutes um, you know, Tennessee volunteer spirit, there was a lot of Tennesseans that were involved in, in <clears throat> bringing home uh, what today is deemed as one of the more important moments in uh, human history. Sure. Tennessee provided roughly uh, about 100,000 troops uh, to the war effort once the United States gets involved in, in 1917 and, and 1918. Um, and Tennesseans will serve primarily in the 30th Infantry Division, uh, but also in other divisions spread throughout the Army. Um, their experiences are not undifferent from soldiers from other states. Uh, yeah, they're, they're dealing with the same sort of trench warfare. They're you know fighting uh, bad food and bad water and wanting to get, get home just like any other soldier would. Um, there are a couple of unique things about Tennessee's role in World War One. You can't talk about World War One in Tennessee without mentioning Alvin York, mm. uh, who who comes back to the United States as the most decorated soldier of World War One, um, and of course is, goes down as as kind of the most famous uh, World War One soldier. Um, you know, just remembered in film and in song and statues on the state capitol grounds and. And York is a great example of this kind of unlikely hero coming from very rural backgrounds, like so many of these Tennessee soldiers did, um, and just 
achieving unbelievable things in combat. Probably the most unique story, though, beyond Alvin York in Tennessee is um, an attempt by a small group of Tennesseans to kidnap the Kaiser. Um, as wow. the war is winding down, the, the Kaiser goes into exile in, in Holland, um, and a man named Luke Lee, who was a very famous in his time period, he was known as the governor maker, he was very wealthy, had been the founder of the Tennessean newspaper, um, and had gotten involved in all sorts of other businesses. He uh, comes to the conclusion that at the end of the war, because the British monarchy was actually related to the Kaiser, uh, that they were going to let him off without punishment for this great war he had created. And so Luke Lee hatches this plan to go to Holland, um, go to the house where the Kaiser is staying, and kidnap him. Um, what he was going to do once he kidnapped him, we can only assume that he was going to turn him over to American authorities and maybe the Americans, since we weren't restrained by these um, intermarriage uh, among the European monarchy, that we would put him on trial or something. So Luke Lee hatches this kind of hairballed uh, plan, and the, the amazing thing is he gets very close. <laughs> he actually got into the house. Wow. Um, I'd expect nothing less of a Tennessean. That's right. Um, before uh, Dutch soldiers show up and, uh, and ask the Tennesseans to leave. Um, <laughs> and, and the Kaiser was really kind of upset about these uninvited guests that had showed up at his, his home away from home. Um, interesting enough that uh, these guys were never, they got some sort of uh, uh, verbal reprimand, but they were never brought up on any charges. Um, General Pershing, who of course was the overall American commander, apparently kind of laughed it off and uh, wished he could have been, been there with Luke Lee, he supposedly said. So um, that's kind of Tennessee's, you know, with, with Alvin York and Luke Lee, uh, it's kind of a, a typical Tennessee, very um, character-driven effort in World War I. Wow. Well, that is amazing. And I, I tell you, those two um, individuals, for all those that are out there listening, look those two individuals up because uh, I think that is a, a very amazing story and, you know, shows Tennessee's kind of willingness to volunteer and, and even in the most detrimental of situations. And like you said, York, one of the more decorated soldiers, not just from Tennessee, but from the entire war effort. So unfortunately, Myers, we've run out of time and we're on a hard break coming up, but I personally want to thank you and wish you a very Merry Christmas. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Guys, we'll be right back right after these messages. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And we want to thank you all for coming in and spending this day, this, this hour with us on the Housing Hour. And we had a very interesting guest, uh, Myers Brown, 
um, archivist with the State Library, Tennessee, and he was sharing his thoughts about the 100-year anniversary of the Christmas truce, and really a fascinating story, and I really appreciated um, his insight, uh, not only on that, but also Tennessee's involvement, the two gentlemen, uh, Lee and York, Uh, who were two of some of the most interesting stories. York, of course, not just the most decorated Tennessee soldier, um, arguably the most decorated war soldier of World War I. Um, Thought it was interesting that uh, Lee kind of tried a kind of a coup d'etat of sorts and tried to break into the, I mean, that's that's kind of fascinating. I got to learn more about that. But um, he tried to take out, the Kaiser, yeah. uh, you know, he, who was the, the military. Yeah. He, I, or I, it may be something worse, but, um, he was some, some suggest he was the brainchild behind the, the effort from, from that standpoint and was organizing, uh, and so forth, uh, the different things. So anyway, I thought that was great. I think it was a tremendous success. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And don't forget, you can go and share this show. If you have a, maybe a, a, a maybe a parent or a grandmother or a friend who likes history and wants to learn more about uh, what, we are been, what we've been talking about, I think it'd be a good idea to go on there and share it. And we'll, of course, have it up on Facebook and so forth. And I do need to give a shout-out to uh, Scott, uh, Scott Higgins with Prudent Energy System. I want to call him Scott Prudent. Yeah. Um, he is very prudent. Um, it wouldn't be prudent. Uh, but he, uh, he is a great guy. He does uh, a lot of work for us, and he uh, took care of auditing our home making sure to see where the leaks occurred in our home um, from an air standpoint. And he had the blower door test and he really just um, created for us a report that said, here's where your problems exist. Here's why your home is not staying conditioned, air conditioned in the most efficient way possible. Gave us some solutions and he implemented those. And we're, we're now bearing the fruit of those solutions. Uh, amazing uh, kind of concept and it goes right in line with our um, energy efficiency series that you can find right there on our website. On the toolbar, you'll find special series. And one of the richest in content um, is the energy efficiency series. Scott does a great job. He is our expert analyst, but also our friend. Love for you to give him an opportunity. Uh, Scott Higgins with Prudent Energy System. Find his information on our website and tell him that the boys at the housing hour sent you. So what Mark and I wanted to do in this last segment is to take a moment to recap for everyone. Uh, 2014, I about said 1914. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark might be able to recap that one, but no, no, I mean, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Um, but it's been a really interesting year. You know, the year started out and I think for me, at least I'm, I'm talking about in the real estate business, there was some fear at the beginning of the year about what was going to happen. What, were going to be the interest rates and what was the economy going to do. And I think that the result of those fears was in fact what fear stands for, false evidence appearing real. It actually ended up being a fantastic year in my estimation and we're continuing that right now. It, you know, it started off a little bit sluggish. I mean, mm-hmm. in the in the real estate market and I think that's what had everybody a little bit concerned. Because, you know, this this far into the Great Recession, you know, we're several years out of it. Fannie Mae had already repaid all of the the loan money from the TARP original. Uh, so we were expecting, you know, robust, robust economy taken off. And I don't think that's what we got. But we did get a healthy economy. And I think uh, later in the year, by the second quarter, things really started to pick up. 
And now, now it has really gotten heated up Absolutely. in the real estate market here locally, at least. Well, let's talk about our year at the housing hour. Our very first guest of the year was Diane Fitzpatrick. Oh, and was she really? Yeah. Home sweet homes. Yeah. Um, which we're still, I think, do we still have books to give away? Oh, absolutely. So you can still go on to thehousinghour.com. And as a matter of fact, she was, um, her book was on the number six uh-huh. on the most wanted yes. book for realtors in the yes. whole country. That's um, and we're giving it away free. That's so right. So as a loan officer or as a referral partner, why not go to thehousinghour.com, sign up for the free book, and then give it to a realtor, which is what they want because that's right. what that's what the service and actually said. and when we were running that promo before um you know people would email me directly so if you don't want to sign up you want to shoot sure. me an email yeah. go to host bios kevin and i's emails right there right. So. and mark does birthday parties too so you might <laughs> want to look into that so diane was amazing because she she had a very interesting story she moved around a lot she gave us the insider's look in a very humorous way why moving sometimes has you have to look at the humor because in her situation, it was because it was job related. They had to move a lot. Just a really funny hour we got to spend oh, yeah. with her. She's dynamite. Um, our second, our second show was um, actually from uh, John John Springer, who is your friend oh, who yeah. who helped you make your millions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but really a nice guy. And you know what? I saw John um, at a Tennessee football game. And we both looked at each other, and like, I've I, seen you before. Yeah, it was. It took us a minute. Of course, you're you're in there in the bathroom, so it's kind of why are we looking at each other? But it connected, and and you know it was nice to share. But John, you know, really had a down to earth assessment of how all of that works, how personal financial advising is supposed to look, and a really good guy, and I liked him a lot. So that was our second show, and I thought that was starting the year off right. We started with some humor. We started with uh, giving you know back to uh, the community as it relates to um, information about financial advising, and then we kind of took the gloves off a little bit, if you recall. Cut the crap, get a job. Oh, it was probably Dana. one of the most I think fascinating interviews. Dana Manciagli. Yes. was our guest. That was our third show of the year. And Dana really, you know, her job or her, her book is labeled Cut the Crap, Get a Job. And as a result of our show, we have had the strongest job growth since 1999, <laughs> directly tied <laughs> in to Dana's. But she, she, she was very matter of fact, if you recall, and but she was funny and she was nice. I think she even said, "I bet I even look a lot better than you." Remember? Yeah, she was, that was referring to me. <laughs> um, and she's right. But she had a really good template for people that need to get a job. You can check it out in our archives. And we and have books to, to give away for that. We so, have books to give away for yeah. that. If you have somebody that's trying not to get a job, cut the crap and get a job. I thought so. That was a great one. And and we continued. You know, that's one thing I really like about the housing hour. And I hope that you do as well. And clearly because of our Nielsen ratings, you do because we're really knocking the socks off of the competition. You talked about pulling the, pulling the gloves off. We're we're pretty darn good. And I'm not bragging about that. Those are just facts. Those are just facts. We are the number one show uh, on Saturdays in the eyes of the listener. It's a survey I did personally, (laughs) but, but then when we got into February in all seriousness, that's when we started to to really, and I think this is probably where our energy series really took off because we talked about, if you recall, we talked about, remember Galen Brown came in. We talked about how you can create heat 
by by using the composting. Right. Remember? And um, wow, Galen knocked my socks off because he he had a technology that gave you free heat right. and could heat your pool. And that was our first show in February. And I would recommend he has he has a he does have a book that he wrote. It's called The Compost Powered Water Heater by Galen Brown. And he tells you step by step how to build the compost uh, and how to recover the heat from it. I mean, amazing, really, truly amazing. And then, if you recall, we decided then to kind of get back into our energy series, um, full full bore. We had Scott come back in, and that's when we started talking about home energy evaluations, and we got really into detail about what it looks like, what is what is it that Scott does, what does Energy Star mean? You know, we really got into some real deep detail on how all that works, and we start. Remember, we brought in. Uh, John Householder, he was the codes guy because we're now in Knox County or Farragut was adopting some new uh, regulations and that meant that uh, certain built builders on new homes had to meet certain standards as it relates to energy efficiency. And and that's going to continue to be news coming up. Yeah, because most of the municipalities are going to have to adopt those and start to implement them. Otherwise, they're going to be behind the scene, and I'm sure there's going to be a, a stick uh, where you could enjoy the carrot. I agree. I agree. So, you know, if you're a builder out there and you need to talk with someone, uh, Scott Higgins would be the person to talk to because Scott is our our expert when it comes to that. And he knows all he knows all about the regulations and what that looks like and what that means and so forth. So then in March... March was a great month because it's my birthday. Right. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, we had Jackie Pullen come in. She was one of our first segments, and Jackie is one of our senior loan officers. She's been with MIG for 20 years. She is an expert with FHA, THDA, VA, USDA, conventional. She is one of our top loan officers, and she also works directly with Mark in our Oak Ridge operations. And she told her story and shared with us and I was unfortunately, I think at Disney World. <laughs> I think you were snowed in in New York. <laughs> oh, was that was that when that was? You're right. It sure was. I can't remember, but that I think you were. Yeah. And then, if you recall, in that same show, you had the Walkit. Yes. The, the Walkit, the guy who who created the Walkit. Which, come to find out, there's more and more products coming out very similar to that. Yeah. It, it's still in, and it's actually making strides if you Google yeah, that. So really? he's, he's starting to sell a lot because of those products of the housing hour. Again, yeah. I promise you. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, after that, Kristen Oblata, another one of our senior loan officers that's helping to expand our map. Johnny Creel. We had the Creel, uh, group come in. She does a tremendous job. They're a great team. Um, Johnny is a, 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 been in this business for a long time and does a great job, um, for her clients. And she's, built this great sphere of influence. She's respected. And so is Kristen. And so she was another one of our shows. Um, and, and then um, we started talking a little bit about the MIG Charity Classic, which was a huge success. And it was because of our listeners, because of our referral partners, all of our sponsors. You can go to MIGCharityClassic.com to learn more about that because we have another one coming up in nine months. And we've already set the date. September 21st all right. is when we're going to have the next date. So you guys just make sure you put that on the calendar. We had USDA come in. We had the big dog come in, Tony Hernandez, who is the administrator. He's the big guy. He's yeah. the the number one at USDA. And we had him come in talking about expanding America. The numbers aren't in yet, 
But when the numbers do come in, I believe at Mortgage Investors Group in the year 2014 will have been the number one USDA lender in the state. Is I don't that have, right? That's not a fact yet. It's I'm not official. It's not official. We are the number one lender in the state overall, and we're the number one THDA lender for first-time homebuyers. But I think when the numbers are counted, I think we're going to be up there. Now, that just, guys, that just got us through March. Yeah. That's all we had time to, to talk about. We have a whole host of other items that we covered, and I think it would be advisable, really, for you guys to go and check it out. There would be a great, you know what would be a great Christmas present for somebody? is to go download a few shows for a, a, a grandmother or a friend and, and download it and burn it to a, a disc and give it to, to grandma. Maybe uh, the reverse mortgage show we did a couple years ago. That might be an opportunity. Whatever it is, we want to say, on behalf of Mortgage Investors Group, the housing hour, and everybody behind the scenes, we want to thank you for your participation in this show, and we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. I met a man who lives in Tennessee. He was heading for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.